And after marking song number 272, would you be turning to Acts, the 10th chapter? We'll be devoting most of our attention tonight to the 10th chapter of that book of Acts. And as we reflect upon the majesty and the wonder of that chapter, we'll be led to not only appreciate the first Gentile convert, which is the title of the lesson, but also a number of features and aspects of that unforgettable conversion to Chaos. It is with that uh, perhaps in mind that I might invite you to consider for a moment this introductory slide that reads a, that in fact reads like this. Isn't it amazing to think about the various conversion accounts as they're presented to us in the book of Acts? In fact, these are unsurpassed in their value. For they remind us rather directly what those folks did to become Christians. And sure enough, you and I today are still under demand to do exactly the same thing. Isn't it amazing that we find that men, as well as women, as well as those that were rather in high positions of society, and even those that were much lower in position, everybody had to do exactly the same thing. In fact, you may notice on the day of Pentecost, we notice that Jews are required to obey that gospel. But we find tonight that the Gentiles also were in, in anticipation of exactly the same. Lydia, a woman, she, of course, had to obey that same gospel in Acts chapter 16. Men, like the Ethiopian nobleman in Acts chapter 8, everybody was expected to do the same. And shouldn't you and I not be impressed that God is no respecter of persons, Romans 2.11, and all of us are also expected. Yea, demanded to do exactly the same thing. Tonight, as you will give thought to the first Gentile convert, as I mentioned, we'll be spending some time in the 10th chapter of Acts, and I thought that I'd develop and present the lesson in such a way that as we step through the chapter, we will in fact make various points along the way. And the first one has to do with the person of Cornelius. May I read to you beginning in the opening verse of Acts, the 10th chapter, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian band. I'm sorry, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. One of the first things we learn about this gentleman called Cornelius is that he was a Roman centurion. And by that, you and I come to appreciate that he was the man in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers. That obviously indicates he was a man of authority, he was a man of position. He was a man of some respect, but that's only the beginning. You and I well appreciate then that this man was a Gentile. All of the conversion accounts that you and I have noted earlier in the book of Acts up until this time involved those that were of Jewish extraction. Like those on Pentecost, the Jews were the ones that came to the Pentecost feast. Gentiles didn't come to that. When you and I arrive at Acts chapter 8, you and I will remember that there Philip himself was of the Jewish consideration, and he thus taught that Ethiopian eunuch who had come to Jerusalem to worship, again mindful of the Jewish way of life. But when we come to this chapter, this man Cornelius was a Gentile. It might well be with that in mind, would you be impressed at where he was stationed? We are told that it was Caesarea. Now Caesarea was a coastal town, it was positioned, as you will appreciate on that slide, in a very special place. We'll have more to note about that shortly. At this point, would you please note verse 2. This man Cornelius, it says, was a devout man 
and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Each of us would be mightily impressed. He would have been one of the finest neighbors you could ever ask. He was devout. He feared God with all of his house. He prayed earnestly. He was a man who tried to do good, who tried to be responsible and respectful with that which he had. It might well be in that light you may appreciate on that slide. That word devout carries the thought of godly, the thought of piousness. This person, though a Gentile, should stand as a powerful lesson that even the Gentiles were those of whom God was aware. We know that God gave to those who were called Jews, or at least those that were called Hebrews, the features relative to the old law of Moses. But it's not as though the Gentiles were not under law to God. That law was of the patriarchal variety. It was that particular law to which they were still susceptible. And Cornelius was a rather notable person who strove to do what was pleasing to God the best way he knew how. As you and I add to that, would you jump over to verse 22 of the same chapter? It was furthermore described like this, Cornelius the centurion was a just man, and one that feareth God and of a good report among all the nation of the Jews. He was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Cornelius was just. He had a desire, you see, to do what was fair and equitable and in a sense of proper justice in the light of his occupation and in the light of the other features of his life. It might well be as we close that slide, should we not pause to say, this man was a moral man. He was a man of high ethic. But should we not be appreciative of the fact he's still going to be in a position that he was in need of learning some additional matters for a new law was in place. Jesus the Christ had now died, and it was important for him to come to know some additional matters. What about point number two tonight? The second point proceeds further in the chapter. The mission for Peter. At this point, why don't we continue our reading and look particularly beginning at verse 3. The word he here refers to Cornelius. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked upon him... He was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. At this point, I've entitled that slide again, Mission for Peter. As you begin to step through it, would you take note as we summarize those verses we just read? It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on some particular day that Cornelius himself saw a vision in which an angel of God not only appeared to him, but shared with him a remarkable lesson. In fact, that angel instructed Cornelius, You send Joppa for a man called Simon. His surname is Peter. And I'll even tell you where he's staying. He's staying with a man called Simon a Tanner. He lives by the seaside. And when you send for him, he will have instructions for you. 
words that you need to hear. Now, would you and I be impressed that, again, this man, Cornelius, was highly ethical and moral, but there was additional information. There was a wonderful message that he needed to hear. As you close that particular slide with me, you may now appreciate that Cornelius responded very favorably and very promptly to that message that the angel shared with him. I'd like to read those verses that we all might be impressed with that which took place. Verse number 7, And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. It would appear that no sooner had the angel left that Cornelius called these soldiers and called this servant and gave them instructions to head to Joppa. Now with all that said, should you and I not continue to be impressed by the trustworthiness of Cornelius, a man who was passionate, enthusiastic, and interested in learning not only what God's will for him was, but that he might participate in the wonderful presentation of what was the message of God for him. The next message of the lesson tonight is inclusive of this map. I realize that the names are likely far too small for you to read, but could I at least remind you that we have before us the Mediterranean Sea, which is this large area in blue, and here is Caesarea, which is where Cornelius was. And you'll notice that Joppa was due south on the coast about 20 miles. So those persons that Cornelius sent had a 40-mile journey ahead of them there and back. But they had a mission to find the house of Simon a Tanner, to make acquaintance with Peter, and to share with him this message and invite him to come and to talk with Cornelius and those that were gathered. Let's see how, in fact, all these things proceeded. What about the preparation of Peter? Lesson number three. As you and I journey forward, beginning in verse number 9, I hope that we each are impressed with not only the efforts of the God of heaven, but with Cornelius' consideration concerning what's about to happen and Peter's immediate preparation. Verse number 9, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry. And would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And called and asked where Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit saith unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. 
Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in, and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. Let's pause long enough to reflect upon this further preparation of Peter. I've summarized with several things on that slide. You will recall that on the day following, the following pieces of information to us are given. It was about the noonday hour, and like many of us, Peter got hungry about that time of day. You and I like lunch, don't we? Peter, it says, became rather hungry and would have eaten, but while preparation was being made, there was someone else preparing the lunch that day, and it wasn't quite ready. Peter fell into a trance. He saw some things, and he saw, as it were, a great sheet let down from heaven, and all manner of beasts were in it. Birds, four-footed beasts, wild beasts. And this instruction was given, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter quickly said, Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. You and I immediately remember the Jewish food laws. There were certain things they couldn't eat. Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 detail that in rather notable order. Lots of things they weren't allowed to eat. Peter, being mindful of that, refused to participate in and even in a symbolic way to eat what was in this trance. This happened three times. The sheet was let down, the command was given, and Peter said no. The sheet went back up, the sheet came back down, the command was given to Peter to eat, and Peter said no. The sheet went back up, the sheet came back down. It happened three times. It left an impression on Peter. Could I direct you again to the information of verse number 17? While Peter doubted, the Greek text has in mind he was perplexed. He was meditating upon this vision he had seen. He was reflecting upon it and giving it thought, and the verse goes on to say this. While Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Aren't you impressed with the providence of God and the timing of this? Just at that hour of the day when Peter had had that vision, there came the three men from Cornelius. As that particular moment arrived, you'll notice in verse number 18, they asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were there. Yes, he was there. As that information had been given to them, and as they had sought out this house of Simon, a tanner, indeed, Peter was there. And now in verse number 19 and following, 
while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit now, the very nature of God, intercedes in this procession again. Remember, already it had been said, what I've called clean, don't you call uncommon or unclean. And now the Holy Spirit had something to say. Verse number 19. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Peter, those three people coming to you, they're Gentiles, admittedly. Don't you be afraid of them. Don't you be concerned about them. You go with them. And in the verses that follow, you'll notice that Peter rather dutifully responded to that. And as you appreciate what this next slide goes on to say, it now leads us into the actual coming of Peter to the household of Cornelius. You and I read some of those verses as they appear in this chapter. Let's continue our reading and then summarize that aspect of this narrative as well. May I again point you to verse number 25. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or come in unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter got the message. When three times it was told to him, what I have cleansed, call not thou common or unclean. Peter now knew he wasn't just talking about animals. He's talking about people. He's talking about Gentiles. And now Peter makes use of that same wording and now comforts the heart of Cornelius and comforts the heart of that large group that was gathered along with him. You and I now come to verse 29. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I ask, therefore, for what intent ye have sent for me. Peter said, I didn't delay. Once I received that inquiry, and once I received that invitation to come, I didn't purposefully delay. No gainsaying involved. No opposition, if you please. And it is with that to be noted. Verse number 30 now reads like this. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? I think each of us can be so impressed with Cornelius. This man who already, you and I could perhaps understand today that someone might say, Look, I'm already a good man. What more need I do? I'm a good neighbor. I'm a good centurion. I'm rather faithful and loyal to the various duties of my life. And yet, 
when it was told to him to send for Peter, he didn't delay to do it. And now when Peter has come in a very humble way, you may notice he actually falls before Peter to worship him and aren't we impressed? There are those in our world who claim that Peter was the first pope. And all kinds of people fall before the pope and they kiss various elements of things in his presence. And Peter said to Cornelius, get up, I'm only a man. Peter knew he wasn't to be worshipped. Peter understood that he was not to be worshipped. And that reminds us so wonderfully about the message of Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 10. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. As you notice in those verses following, Cornelius rather quickly highlighted, beginning in verse 30, the scenario that led him to send for Peter. And now as you and I take up the reading of verse 34, what is it that Peter told Cornelius? Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And isn't that a wonderful way to begin the sermon? Peter began by saying, Of a truth, it is an absolute certainty that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, Gentile and Jew alike, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. Are you getting the feeling that the blessed doors are now being opened to the Gentiles just as surely as they had been opened to the Jews back in Acts chapter 2? It is to be noted then that beginning in verse 36, and as you and I continue our journey, we notice that I've asked you to appreciate this worship of Cornelius on this next slide. The patriarchal era is the one, of course, under which the Gentiles had been living ever since the events of Genesis chapter number 3. In fact, that particular law that was set forward, and one that those of the human race, in fact, were under so long as they were not the children of Abraham through Jacob, it impresses us not only again here, but in so many other passages of Scripture, how that there was a law beneath which they served and... Cornelius is exhibit A about the reality of that truth. I've simply summarized some of those things before you. Have you already been impressed with some of the statements? Twice in this chapter, God said, Cornelius, I have heard your prayers, and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. This man was not a Jew, and yet God was aware of his giving and was aware of his prayers. Might you and I be impressed that God had an interest in all the ages of non-Jews being faithful to Him and serving Him beneath the law which was appropriate for them. And Cornelius was in that category. However, you and I notice as appropriate and as acceptable for God that He was, there was a new law now in place and He was in position that He too needed to hear about it the wonderful and blessed gospel message, the law of the Christ. As you close that particular slide with me, surely it brings us to wonder the further elements of that beautiful sermon that Peter delivered that day. Let's take up the reading of verse 36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching 
peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And now Peter, during this presentation, talks not about Moses, talks not about Elijah, talks not about the various individuals of the Old Testament, but he draws the emphasis to Jesus the Christ. He, you might want to underline it if you like, verse number 36, He, Christ, is Lord of all. Now verse 37, That word I say ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed Him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with Him after He rose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is He which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To Him give all the prophets witness that through His name whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sin. Oh, what a sermon. As Peter shared with Cornelius and that group assembled with him, he said, this Jesus is Lord of all, and yet those put him to death. But God raised him up. And we ate with him after he was resurrected. We can testify to you he was raised. It is not a figment of anybody's imagination. He is alive again. We saw Him. We ate with Him. We even had fellowship with Him. Peter said, we're witnesses of this. And so it is in verses 42 and 43. This Jesus commanded us to preach this message, to preach about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Christ. That is, you see, the core elements of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. Those are the elements that are the basis of our faith. It is with this that we arrive at verse number 44. The sermon has now about ended, you see. I wonder how Cornelius reacted. How did Cornelius respond to the message? Let's see. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. And with those 48 verses, we've concluded Acts chapter 10. Let's note some of those comments on the slide. You notice that what a rather powerful and motivating conclusion came with the sermon. And now, inasmuch as Cornelius and the others responded, you'll notice yet again the Holy Spirit intercedes by falling on those that had assembled. We have the second and final example of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in all the Bible. 
You may recall that Holy Spirit had fallen on the apostles in Acts chapter 2, and now it fell on these assembled of the Cornelius in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. I hope that you and I are impressed that in this instance, the coming of the Holy Spirit did not save them. But what it was, was a presentation on the part of God that they were in position to be just as accepted as those Jews had been on the day of Pentecost. In fact, that's the very message. May I read it again? Can any forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Do you recall on the, in the, the events of Acts chapter 2, they spoke with tongues. Those apostles in Acts 2 verses 1 to 4, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 2 verses 5 and following. And notice that those who were here, they said, Look, this is exactly what we remember happening then. I hope all of us are impressed. God is showering forward the very truth that these Gentiles are now in position to be accepted beneath the same law, the same gospel, the same expectation as what had been given to the Jews back in the events of Acts chapter 2. You will then notice that with that said, verse 48 closes the chapter, wherein it says, He commanded them to be baptized. They were ready to have their sins washed away in the beautiful presentation of baptism. And you'll notice it says, Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. You and I notice that when Cornelius heard that gospel, he didn't act like some others that said, When there's a more convenient season, I'll call for thee. He was ready right then and there. He was ready to submit to the demands of the gospel and to be baptized for the remission of his sins. Is it any wonder then what a blessed beauty is baptism. We notice somewhat about that in 1 Peter 3.21 this morning in our lesson. The like figure word to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This particular circumstance in which we have seen this conversion perhaps reminds us yet one more time the amazing features in which God was involved in so many particulars of this development. Remember, it was God who basically through the angel told Cornelius, you go and send for, jo you send for Peter. I'll tell you he's at Joppa. Furthermore, it was God who by way of that trance that Peter saw helped him appreciate what I have cleansed, call not thou common or unclean. And then the Holy Spirit reminding Peter, those three men at the door, I have sent them. Don't be afraid to go with them. And then when Peter arrived at the household where Cornelius was, you now notice the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak with tongues. God was behind this in so many ways. He was the motivating factor in so many ways. And it was the will of God that the Gentiles be welcomed into the Christian fold. And so it was. And today, aren't you and I thankful? You and I aren't Jews. We're not of Jewish heritage. And yet now the gospel is just as needful and just as open and just as meaningful for us as it was for Cornelius. And furthermore, as it was for those on Pentecost. Now all of us 
all men everywhere are commanded to repent, Acts 17.30. And could I invite you to notice that just a couple of chapters forward from this, this rather interesting commentary is now given. May I point you to Acts 15, verse number 9. In the conversation that took place on that occasion, it says, And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. The us and them are Jew and Gentile, and those who were speaking there said, Look, they are now expected to do the same as we. And the verse closes by saying, Their hearts, just as surely as are ours, are cleansed by faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17 reminds us. And as you and I come near the closing of our consideration this evening, Isn't it true that we may conclude fairly like this? We have looked in some detail at the fullness of Acts the 10th chapter. It is a beautiful presentation of the first Gentile convert. I hope we're all in remembrance that he wasn't by himself that day. There was a fairly sizable group gathered with him. And I hope that all of them obeyed the gospel along with Cornelius. The text seems to indicate that they all did. But this very day, aren't you and I thankful for the record of Acts chapter 10? It is a rather remarkable matter. We see in it the tremendous work of God. We have been led to understanding the various dispensations of men. We even had the opportunity to see this second and final example of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we surely have been reminded of how needful it is to be baptized in water for the remission, for the forgiveness of sin. The gospel message is so direct and so beautiful, lovely in so many ways. Tonight, as you and I analyze ourselves, whether we be in the faith, it could well be that you and I have been baptized a long time ago. But maybe we have not been as faithful as we should be. We've allowed the devil, do you see, to come between us and our Heavenly Father by drawing in us a following of what is not approved by God. We've acted in ways that have not been noble. We've acted and behaved in ways which have not been a good example before others. If that be the case of you or of me tonight, why don't we do something about it? Why don't we fall humbly before the God of heaven, not before any man, but before the God of heaven, beseeching His forgiveness with a heart filled with thanksgiving, desirous and so apprised of what God has done for us? This very night, if someone in this assembly would be in that position, we'd be honored to offer our assistance and our help. It is certainly true that if you need to render initial obedience to the gospel, why not tonight? To express your belief in the Lord, to repent of the sins in your life, to make confession of the matchless and unsurpassed name of Christ, and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If we could be of any assistance in those ways tonight or even generally as Christian brothers and sisters. It'd be our delight, our privilege, and our joy to offer that assistance while together we stand and while we sing.